mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be beginning today uh, in verse 14. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. But by way of announcement, I want to remind you um, of a witness, of a testimony, that we are in this grand courtroom, God's courtroom. We're being put on trial. We're being tested to see if we're going to believe in the Son of Jesus and then give witness to that, what we have seen, to trust in Him. And so in our last lesson, we really were told that there's three in heaven that bear witness, verse 7, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And then there's three on earth that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And they bear witness to us, and when we receive that witness, it's called believing. We believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead. And then you shall be saved, and you become a child of God. And then you begin to be a witness of the great power of God to save His children, to protect His children, to take care of His children, to get His children across the finish line and into His house. Now listen to me. The three on earth that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and they came to break the legs? Because they had there, there's, there's maybe hundreds of people hanging there. I mean, we're only told about three. Jesus and then the two thieves on either side of him. But this was the greatest way that the Romans had, would kill the criminals against Rome. And so, since it was a holiday weekend, it was a holy weekend for the, for the Jews, they wanted to get all this stuff done. So they would come after you hung there. You were nailed there, like this, on a tree. You were nailed there, and they had a, a wood spike underneath your feet. And when you're hanging there, your diaphragm is crushed so that you cannot breathe. You cannot get air Unless, of course, you push up with your feet so that you can raise up and grasp some air and keep breathing. But they had so perfected it that they would put the nine-inch nails. That's why that band's called that, by the way. If you listen to that band, that's one of the most evilest bands. It's an old band. They had perfected where they put the nine-inch nails right in, in through the hand where the nerve was at. So that when you pushed, when you moved, that nerve was so irritated in the legs and in the hands. So they perfected this torture. 
But when they got tired of you being tortured, they come by and they break your legs. So now you can't push up anymore and you just suffocate from the weight of your own torso. But they come to Jesus and he had already given up his spirit. He'd already laid down his life for the sins of the world. He'd already said, Father, receive my spirit. He said, it is finished, tetelestai, receive my spirit. He said, also, what was the other one? Forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? But then what did the, what did the soldier do? He st- stuck the spear into his side, under his rib, right here. And then blood and water came out, mingled together, which showed that he had died, So the witness is the blood and water together means that he died. And then the Spirit raised him from the grave. That's the testimony we're supposed to receive. But what is it significant of? Well, look back. Genesis. God creates man, the first Adam. And he tells him, here, tend the garden, have fellowship with me. And Adam begins to name the animals. You know, here's the duck-billed platypus, here's the hippopotamus, here's the unicorn, oh, is it unicorn? No, hippopotamus, a one-horned animal. Anyway, I like doing that. Here's the groundhog, here's the skunk. I had a really good fun time with a skunk this week. Anyway, some of you guys know about it and were laughing at me. Listen, he's naming all these animals, and guess what? Adam is going, there's Mr. and Mrs. Skunk. There's Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus, but where's Mrs. Adam at? And at the end of that, after God announcing that everything was good, he sees that it's not good that man should be alone. So what happened? He caused a sleep to come upon Adam. Right? Sleep is a euphemism in the Bible for death. We don't die, we go to sleep, and we wake in the arms of Jesus. But in this sleep, what did he do? Out of the side of Adam, he took a woman. He, he brought Eve. He created the first marriage, and Eve is the mother of all living. But what happened in the garden? Because of upside-down living, Adam did not take care of Eve and protect Eve from the serpent. He didn't do his job as the first Adam, and he allowed sin to come in through the mother of all living, right? So fast forward, God already knows. He says that that he's going to bring a Savior, and now Jesus, the testimony on earth, with the spear in the side and the blood in the water mingle, he dies an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. And if you believe that, you become a believer priest, but you also become the church, his bride. And the woman comes out of his side, And then the Spirit raises him from the dead to prove that the atoning sacrifice was the evidence, the witness, that it did atone for him. And now the woman comes out of his side, the second Adam. And then when you go out and you be a witness to the the second Adam and his life of death, burial, and resurrection, then other children are born. And really, essentially, the church becomes the mother of the living. The church, your testimony, your witness becomes the second Adam's wife and the witness that there is life in Christ and none other. 
And then he goes to sit down at the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercession for you and me, and he's adorning us as a bride, and we're supposed to be telling others. And when they believe the same witness on earth, they become the children of God. Now, who are the children of God? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Do you know that you are a child of God? Because this is why he wrote, look at verse 13 as we closed last week, 513. He says, these things I have written to you. Listen. Who believe, pistio, entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ, into this witness, this death, burial, and resurrection. You believe in the name, the character, the nature, the will, the authority of God that he gave and invested in his son Jesus, the anointed, the Messiah, the Mashiach of God. Why did he do that? That you may know. Guess what? It's the word I do. E-I-D-O. It's, it's pronounced I do. What happens at a marriage ceremony? You say, I know. I do. Do you take this man to be your lawful wedded husband? To have and to hold, to love and to cherish? Till death do you both so part? And you say, I do. Well, what token do you have in commemoration of these vows? The ring. See, we have the seal, the Holy Spirit that seals us until the day of redemption if we're married to Christ, if we're the bride of Christ. And we know that. The Holy Spirit comes in and we know. We don't guess, wonder, and worry. And how do we know? Because the witness of the Holy Spirit. That by the, we cry, Abba, Father. It's married to our spirit now. And we go out and our life becomes different. Listen to me. When you meet Jesus Christ, the God of all the heavens and earth, and he comes and lives in your heart, you know it. And your life begins to show it and be a witness of it and give testimony about it. And you don't desire the same things anymore. You might struggle. You might fight. You might say, oh, I used to be like that and I used to be like that. But you begin to draw near and find out what this husband has done for me. What this man has done for me that he would come and die and he would marry me knowing that I was a wretch, knowing that I was like a prostitute and I was out living in idolatry and he came and got me and found me. How can we stay in the same place testifying and witnessing about death if we have come to life? How can our life not change if we truly know and we truly said, I do to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, one who would die for us. How in the world can we not have confidence and boldness when he's already given us his son, Jesus? How will he not give us everything else we need for life and godliness if we just come and ask? Sorry, I get a little excited about this stuff. He wants us to know we have eternal life. And eternal life is not, oh, I said a prayer. Eternal life is a person. 
It's Jesus the Christ. Look at John 17, 3. Let's look at it one more time. I do not want to be tedious here, but this is John's testimony to get people saved. And now he's writing a letter to say, if you are saved, there's a witness, there's evidence, there's proof. You're going to be found guilty in a court of law, God's court. Your name will be written in the book that you're guilty of being born again because of your testimony because of the way you're living, because of the direction you're going, because you said, I agree, I do, I see. I agree. Agree means I see. 17.3, which is really the Lord's Prayer. 17.3 is the Lord's Prayer. He begins to pray. He lifts up his eyes to heaven. 17.3 says, And this is eternal life. Listen, the Bible needs to define our words. Not the pastor, not the world, not somebody's idea of what eternal life is. That if you say a prayer, you have eternal life one time at an altar. The Bible needs to define it for us. Because it's God's word that's under attack. Listen, if God's word's under attack, and it is... The devil said to Eve, did God say in the garden? That's the original attack. It's still going on. And let let me give you a sidebar. Science, lying science, is now catching up, and they can't even hide it, that DNA is a language. Think about it. God spoke and created the heavens and the earth. He spoke, and he made you fearfully and wonderfully. And, and, and science is finding out that the DNA in your body is a language that says who you are, what you are, what you're going to be, where you're going to live for eternity. Everything about you is written in your DNA. And then pharmacy comes out with something that attacks your DNA because they want to steal your worship because they're under the sway of the wicked one. The attack has always been on the Word of God. Now it's on your soul But now they're coming in with pharmacy through the inside of you to attack your DNA and try to change the language, the word that God said. And God is allowing it. And you can do what you want. But when you know the truth, you should follow truth. You should not guess, wonder, and worry whether it's truth. You should be able to hear the Spirit of God, hear the Word of God, and follow because you're being led because you're a child of God. And you should be able to stand with boldness and confidence and know that you're going to be safe no matter what they do to you. When you look, that's the testimony you see in the Bible of people who knew God. I think of Paul who was beaten and left for dead outside of a city. And when he got up, he's like, dude, let's go. we got to get out of here, find the first boat out of town. We're going to get, because they beat me, and they thought I was dead, and I don't want them finding me again. That's not what happened, did it? He's like, let's get up. Let's go back into the same people and tell them about Jesus again. Let's go right back to the people who were throwing the rocks. Let's go right back to the people who left me for dead. They drug me out of the city. That's confidence, that's power, that's faith, that's him knowing that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord because he's a child of God, led by the Spirit of God. He's not making up plans for God, he's hearing from God and telling others about God the same way Jesus did, the same way all the people in the Bible who know, they don't guess, they know they have eternal life because they have believed the witness of the Spirit, the water and the blood, the resurrected grave. It's empty. 
and that gives a person confidence. Everybody in this room, if you, if you watch sports, and I told you that Illinois beat IU in the Big Ten tournament, you guys might not know nothing, but you would be arguing with me. Because you would have confidence because of the TV that told you that, no, Illinois lost. And you would argue. And you would, you would say, Greg, you're wrong. But what about with God? Okay, maybe it's something simpler. When you know something, you don't listen to a lie. When you already know, you don't go looking, oh, I already know what I'm going to do today. I'm going to get up and go to work. Let me go fishing. You don't go try to figure out something else to do when you know. If you're married, you shouldn't be out looking for another spouse. Your eyes shouldn't be somewhere else. That would be sin. And if you're in a courtroom giving testimony and witness of what you have sown, what you have saw, that's how he started this book in verses 1, 1, and 2. That which we have touched, that's which we have held, that's which we have known concerning the words of life. You give testimony of it. And the only way you can find these things out is if you get into the Word of God. And you surrender to God. Oh, John 17, 3, is that what you want me to say? This is eternal life. Let's let the Bible define it. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if you say, I have eternal life, then that means that you know God, the only true God. And He's in three persons. we just seen that. His testimony in heaven is the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. So now we know Him. He's a trini- trinity. One God in three persons. Got that? I may know Him and His only Son whom He sent. Now your husband, if you really believe this. One who's already died for you and rose again. He's alive. He's not dead. He can protect you from death, which comes because of sin. He already paid for all your sin. He sets you free from the power and the penalty of sin. And all you have to do is walk it out and be his bride and let him sanctify and cleanse you. And while that's going on, that should be a witness to people who are watching. It should be a testimony that you know where you're going when you die. You know who your husband is. But do you know that? Do you believe that? Are you building a relationship with your husband by having conversation in prayer, by spending time hearing him speak in prayer, reading his word, what he's already said, this love letter that he's written to you? Think about it. If your husband was away or your, you know, a wife would love to get a letter from a husband that's gone to war. You know, I don't know if you've ever been through anything like that where your spouse was missing or gone or or we do phone calls now. But this is a letter. This is intimate where somebody takes the time to sit down and not just go, let me send him a quick text and I'm going to get back to the golf game. You know, this is intimate to tell you everything, everything he wants you to know. So you can be just like him and you can go and be a witness for him. So that people don't have to go to hell. You know, I keep hearing, and listen to me, I I don't want you to get me wrong here. I believe there's a war with Russia attacking 
the Ukrainian people. In fact, the three people that I've personally met and talked to, I hear them doing videos. My grandpa, George Markey, and his wife, Pam, who I listened to last night, they went to, to the Ukraine, to Kiev, we call it. It's, they're calling it Kiev on the radio. I don't know what it is on the TV. And they spent 14 years over there. They planted 13 different churches right there. Their kids are still on the mission field there. I believe there's a war. And I am compassionate. And I'm like freaking out. I'm seeing them throw bodies in these graves. And everybody's going, Russia, Russia, Russia. And, we, and we're being steered toward bad Russia. And war, listen, war is always going to be going on. How come the news isn't on there talking about the 1,300 babies killed a day in America? that we do all clean up in a hospital and make it look nice. That's more of an atrocity than two countries fighting. When you're killing innocent babies in the womb, 1,300 a day, and some say 80% of them are black babies. So that's a genocide of a nation, of a tribe, of a people. They're not talking about that on the news, but they're certainly wanting to steer you to hate Russia and to get involved in what their government is saying is bad. Why are they telling you it's okay to kill 1,300 babies a day and your tax money paying for it? Nobody's up in arms about that. Nobody's praying about that. Nobody's on the 10 o'clock news about that. And once again, I'm, I, I am not saying that there's no atrocities going on and nothing bad going on. But let's deal with what God is looking down at, all the sin. And he judges a country that will kill 1,300 babies a day and act like it's nothing and run to church. 35% of those people go to church and say they believe in Jesus Christ that kill 1,300 babies a day. 35% of those women. And we stand still in America and say, look, Russia, Russia. What about innocent lives? We send money to other countries so they'll kill their babies. And we want to point at some other country like they're evil, they're mean, they're sending bombs. Yeah, death is death to God is is, is bad. It's murder. It's it, it and so is abortion. And you might say I'm on a soapbox, but I want to get your mind focused on the fact that God is the voice you're supposed to be listening to, not the nightly news. Not the soap operas, not the sports, but God's voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, marriage, you're supposed to know him, he knows you, intimacy, there's a relationship, and they follow me. Are you guys with me here? Are you guys with me here? This is something we know. If you're guessing, wondering, and worried about whether you're saved or not, you don't have to do that. You can surrender. You can cry out. You can ask with confidence. Matthew 7. Let's look at Matthew 7 really quick. You can ask God. It is a prayer, but it's not one prayer. Don't have any bookmarks. Don't know where I'm going. Just sitting up here preaching. It's a text I really love because he talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. You want to know why knock is spelled with a K? 
Because in the Greek, the connotation is to keep seeking, keep asking, and keep knocking. And when you take the acronym for ask, seek, and knock, it spells ask. And it tells you to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You don't just ask once. You don't just pray once. It's not just, I said I loved her once. I told her I loved her and said I do the day we got married. She should know that. No, there's a relationship where a husband is dying. Jesus died. Where a wife is obeying and following that husband. That's the mystery of the church. This is not something new, but yet America church, we sit by and act like we're having church and we ignore the basic tenets of the faith. That there's a spirit involved. There's, there's a God that died involved. There's, there's a relationship involved. And there's going to be problems in that relationship. And you're not supposed to try to escape it. What would happen if you escape your eternal marriage? Why, God would have to throw you in hell. If you ignore the free gift of marriage. The, the, if you ignore his proposal for life and godliness, he would have to cast you into hell. Does he want to? No, but he's a just God. He will. It's amazing stuff. If we would just stop and think it through a little bit. And we would stop playing our games and start listening. Matthew 7, verse I think it's seven. Yeah, I can't see. I've got too many ink pen marks on it. And I was like, I can't tell whether it's a seven. Where's the next verse? Oh, there's eight. Okay, seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. Listen. God's not trying to hide salvation or, or his marriage or his love or his inheritance from you. He is longing for you to come and accept his proposal to be married to him. He doesn't want any to perish or die, but all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he gives this example, or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread would give him a stone think about it god's not god you ask god he wants to give you he wants to lavish it upon you he wants to do it according to god's will though not according to your selfish desires and wants and needs so you can go on living in your flesh and go to hell he wants to do it according to the marriage bed he wants to do it according to the marriage ceremony he wants to do it according to life and godliness not death and the grave. So he wants you to ask you. He wants you to learn what life looks like and come and ask about it. Think about it. No son, no, no, no dad is going to give his son a stone and go, ha, 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 he wanted something to eat and I'm going to give him a rock. Or if he asks him for a fish, notice it's bread and fish. I always love that. Will he give him a serpent? No, he's not hiding. He's wanting to take care of you. He's wanting to give you bread. He's wanting to give you fish. He's wanting to take care of your appetite as long as they're desiring godly things. 
If you then, being evil, yes, we are evil. Every last one of us were born with a sin nature, which is evil, which is an enemy of God. And if we stay doing it in our own flesh, our own way, and not led by the Spirit or the Word of God or the testimony of God, we're nothing but evil. And evil is going to be one day completely dealt with when God destroys the enemies of the cross, the enemies of righteousness. So the Bible clearly calls us evil. If we be an evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Are you praying? Are you asking according to His will? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. Now, if you was to look in Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 6.13, I think. Oh, my goodness. No. I'm going to have to give it to you. I already know what it says. I don't have the... In, in Luke, it says, how much more will your Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Wait a minute, you're talking about salvation, talking about sealing, talking about power? Yeah, the Holy Spirit to come and live in you. And then you have the seal. You know. How much more will the, will the Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Have you asked the Father for the Holy Spirit? See, I, be, I mean, I know salvation is believing in the death, burial, and resurrection. But if you have not the Spirit, you have not God. You're not a child of God if you have not the Spirit. So there's a relationship with the Spirit that we have to have in order to be a child of God. And then the Spirit of God is teaching us, guiding us, leading us. And as many as are led by that, you're following, you're obeying the Spirit, you're a child of God. So there's a witness in you. There's a witness around you. There's a witness that comes and emanates from you because you've met God. This should be given to the people around you. You should have confidence in that. I can't believe I didn't have that quote. Oh, it's Luke eleven thirteen, isn't it? If you want to see it on paper, it's Luke eleven thirteen, I believe. If you then being even know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Luke eleven thirteen. Now put that together. Back to our text. And John, the grace of God wants you to know that He's written this so that you would know that you have eternal life, that you have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you're going to have the Holy Spirit in you. And you don't have to guess and wonder and worry. So when you have the Holy Spirit in you, look what it does. You continue. And then 14, it says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we have asked of him. Wow. Really? Let's pray. Father, 
We need your help in everything that we do because apart from you, we can do nothing. We can commit nothing. We can go nowhere but to hell. And that's not where we've chosen to go, Lord. We've chosen to follow you. We've chosen to be your bride. And we would like to be adorned by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word as you wash us and cleanse us. Prepare us for the wedding. Prepare us for the banquet. Prepare us to meet you, Lord, so that we can do it without being ashamed. A chaste virgin adorned for her groom. Wow. Thank you, Lord, that that is our identity. We thank you, Lord, that your word continues to lead us. So we pray, Lord, that we would be a witness to others that we're soon to be with you. We're soon going to be marrying you and consummating that wedding. Pour out your spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is the confidence. You said, I do, and now there's confidence. Did anybody, I mean, don't raise your hands. You get married and you went home, uh, and then the next day you're like, I ain't married. Wait a minute, didn't you just go home or go to your honeymoon for two weeks and consummate the marriage, and you're like, woo got a new bride, got a new husband, things are going to be different, life's different. The next day you don't wake up and go, I ain't married, I'm going to go back out and find me a spouse. See, there's obvious when there's a relationship that happens. There's obvious when a marriage takes place. There's a difference in life. And now here's the confidence you can have if you're married to Jesus. Now, confidence is a really good word for you because it's a witness. It's assurance. It means all-out spokenness, frankness, bluntness. I've been told I'm pretty blunt many times. And I'm like, well, okay, I, I confess. I confess I'm blunt. But I'm usually talking about the gospel, or leading up to it while I'm being blunt. It's called a, a, a boldness of speech or unreservedness in your speech. Listen, if you're talking about Jesus, the truth of the universe that sets everybody free, and you just got married and you know for a fact that you're going because you said, I do, and that heaven is real and the things of God are real, are you kidding me? What else matters? What else could really matter in your heart other than letting them know that you just married the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You're married to the creator of the universe. Why would we be ashamed to be married to somebody so perfect? I just want to find that perfect mate. You did, and you won't tell nobody about it. You did, and you won't let him change you. You did. And you act like you're still dead. I'm not talking about you guys. People in Texas. Not us. We didn't do this. It's people in Texas that do this. So we're going to get a team together. And we're going to go down and be missionaries in Texas. And we're going to tell them what their wedding ceremony was about. And how they should thus be acting. And they should stop listening to the world government. And the world news. And all the other voices that tells them there's something that they're not. Or gets them focused on things that they shouldn't be focused on when they really need to be focused on, like, like Jesus did, his face like flint set to Jerusalem to do the will of God. Because that's what he came for. 
And if you became a new creation, a believer priest who believes in Jesus, and you come out of his side, then your flesh is buried in that grave with him. And you've been crucified with Christ. And now your new life is following him. You no longer exist. The two have become one. Can we grasp that, that we're one with the God of the universe, married to the Son of God? Can we grasp that? And yet, what do we continue to do? How do we continue to be a witness? What are we telling people about? Silly things that mean nothing that are going to burn? What are we talking about? What are we concerned about? What are we chasing about? We're still trapped in our sin and self and Satan and chasing all of this stuff. When we have, we have a wedding party to get ready for, we have an inheritance in the heavenly places, we've been given all this stuff to go out and get ready. I'm sorry. So we should have that confidence. Confidence we have in what? My flesh, my strength, my PhD, my education, my great muscles that are going to die. They keep falling lower and lower. I have confidence in who? In Christ, in him, in the one I came out of his side because I'm hidden in him. I have confidence in him and his great power, his great love, his great work. What he's doing in the world to find a bride and to sanctify and cleanse her and to get her across the finish line. I don't have any confidence in me. Ask my wife, if you guys seen me on Sunday morning, you would freak out. I'm not who I am right now with boldness and outspokenness about the gospel. I'm like, I'm pacing. I'm like, well, Lord, if you don't show up, this is not going to work. I don't know what, what in the world am I supposed to talk about? Well, you've been studying all week, haven't you? Yes, but what am I supposed to tell them? Listen, if I show up and start talking about some stuff and it's not the gospel, leave. If if people would follow that around this land, they wouldn't be in these mega churches that are teaching lies. And we would be much more concerned about the 1,300 babies dying a day here than we are other countries. Now, I'm not saying we wouldn't be concerned about them other countries. But I can't get over there. I can deal with what's going on in my house. And we ignore that and we get all up in a ruckus over something going on in somebody else's house. But what about your house? Are you cleaning carpet in the wrong house? Or are you dealing with your house? And allowing the Spirit of God to wash and cleanse you so that you can have confidence, so that you can ask. Because if you ask anything, listen, this is not a joke. This is not hyperbole. Or like I used to say, a hyperboil. It's not hyperbole. This is not him talking really big like, yeah, this is an exaggeration. If you ask according to his will... Listen to me, this is a really simple thing. Because, you know, if, you, if you've ever been through probate court and somebody's ever died in your life and they, and they had a will, it's a written document of what to do with my stuff when I die. That's what God wrote, is a will. 
And in order for the will to be enacted, somebody had to die. It was Jesus. And now that he died, he sent back the Holy Spirit to be the executor of the estate. The Holy Spirit hands out the inheritance as you follow the rules of the will. But you go to any court in the land and the judge is not going to let you violate the will, no matter how much you feel like you should be able to spend the money on this or go do this or have fun with this. You cannot violate the will. And the Holy Spirit is the executor. He's not going to allow you to. And he agrees with the other, the Father in heaven and the Word. So he perfectly knows what it says. He knows the heart of God, we're told in Romans 6. He knows everything. He makes intercession for you. So as long as you're trying to run and compete according to the will, then you can ask anything. And I guarantee you God will do it because it's in the will. It's freely allowed. If you ask for somebody's soul, that's what God is doing. But are you concerned about souls? Because that's what he wants to do in you. Your soul first and then other souls. And when you get in line with that, then everything starts to flow. When you get outside of self and you quit worrying about self and you quit focusing on self, that's what Eve was focused on. It'll take care of my appetite. It looks like it's good for pleasure. It looks like it's going to make me wise. Really? The wisdom of God. You're married to the wisdom of God and you ignore it. And you're looking for somebody down here that doesn't even know God to give you some wisdom? You're married to the wisdom. Your you're, you're, you're groom at home in your heart is the wisdom of God. And we go looking in the world to find out what we should be doing? Why not just ask? Why not just say, what's all that about? I mean, I'm a nutcase. I, I, I got a skunk in a trap, and I'm like, Lord, why did you let me catch a skunk? I want to know why. Seriously, I want to understand it because nothing's happened by accident. I'm like, Lord, what is going on here? What are you saying to me? Because I went in my chicken house on the eighth chicken that was dead, and I seen a weasel run out. And then I put a live trap out there on the council of somebody else that's caught weasels before, and I catch a skunk. Why didn't I catch a weasel? I mean, I'm actually asking him about it. And then I'm crazy enough to go out there and shoot that thing, and I thought, boy, that was really tough, dude. You got him. I went, I'm just going to put three it's in him, you know, how men are. They're really cool. And I went, bow, bow, bow. I hit him three times, and I go, yeah, it's done. I went back in the house and got my Bible. I got to study. I got Bible study tomorrow night. I ain't going to spend no more time on that. My grandson's like, I want to see him. I go, he's a dead skunk. Why do you want to see him? I want to see him. We go out there, and there he is going, he ain't dead at all. I missed him probably all three times. See, in my power, my strength, I thought I took care of him. I got me a gun. That's some, oh, boy, we got this little skunk. Anybody can kill a skunk. So I lit him up with 25 more out of the whole clip. I just lit him up. I just said, we're going to do this. I'm tired of this. Target practice. Yeah, it's funny. It's absolutely funny. But my point is, is I ask God, why? And then you let me miss. And I don't mind you laughing. At me, God humbles us. It's fun. Now I now I know. Here's all it about. I need to go get some target practice, right? I need to get some more bullets and learn how to shoot a gun. No, I need to pray more and I need to spend more time with God. Because you know what? 
I remember a testimony in my Bible where a little young man that was 16 years old come, and he had a sling and a rock, and he killed a giant. And he just slung that rock, and he hit that giant. His confidence was in God killing the giant. All you got to do is read it. The, the, the world, the king tried to give him his armor and said, oh, if you're going to go fight him, you need to have my book. You need to have my armor. You need to be listening to my music. You need to be doing what I taught in judo class. You need to do this and put this armor on. He goes, no, I don't think so. I've never tested that armor. But I do know the testimony of God that when I was keeping sheep, a lion came and God allowed me to kill it. A bear came and God allowed me to kill it. So this uncircumcised Philistine will be like that and God will allow me to kill him. I'll hand him his head today. And he went out against that giant by faith in the strength of God in confidence because he knew the spirit of God. He had a relationship with God because he had spent time with God by himself when he was tending those sheep. And he wasn't trusting in no King Saul who was apostate. He wasn't trusting in the government to say, here, here's some stuff to take care of the giants. Listen, there's some giants coming. And if you ain't ready for them because you know you know Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God is leading you, you're in great trouble. If you don't know Jesus, you'll end up in hell. If you do know Jesus, you'll still make it to heaven, but you're going to go through some stuff that you didn't have to go through. If you would have just been listening and being led and taught by the Holy Spirit of God. Stop being trapped by sin and Satan and self. And start listening to the Spirit of God. All you have to do is ask Him. He will give you confidence. But you have to ask according to His will, His written document that tells you how the inheritance is being handed out. In other words, the Spirit of God has got gifts for you, got talents for you, got a place for you in the body of Christ. Everybody cannot be the heart. Everybody cannot be the armpit. Everybody cannot be the leg. Everybody cannot be the mouth because then it wouldn't be a body. If everybody gets to be the preacher, then all you got is one big mouth. But everybody has their place in the body. The analogy is perfect what is yours? What's the Spirit doing with you? Have you even asked, do you care? Are you too busy chasing everything else and being deceived and bewitched and taking care of sin and self and Satan? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Listening to the government that's underneath the sway of the wicked one. Or are you listening for the voice of God? Listen, this is salvation. that You have Him, not anything else. Nothing else will be a witness and a testimony of your salvation than having His Spirit. That's the witness you want. Because if you have His Spirit, you're going to have what? Love. That's what John just talked about. Love. He is love. And if you have love, you're going to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, some of them might take longer to grow in your life. But they're all there. They're all available when you surrender and allow him to give them to you. But most will hear that word, get up, walk out the door, and let the birds of the air steal the seed from your heart, and you'll never do nothing with it. Because if you don't become a doer, and all you are is a hearer, and you're not a doer, you don't commit to it, then you're deceiving yourself. Can't blame the devil anymore. As Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. 
No, he didn't. You chose to do it. It's your self-deception. You like sin. You want to be deceived. You like yourself. You like flesh. See, if you really loved yourself with the love of God, you would do what he said. Oh, you can read about it in, let's read about it. Come on, let's go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. What does he say? If you really love yourself, husbands would love their wives and lay their lives down for them. Because the reward is a godly wife. See, Jesus, who's loving in a godly love, an agape love, receives us back as an inheritance, washed and cleansed, chaste and pure virgins at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I don't even know. We're going to preach anything out of 1 John. Confidence, prayer, you're asking. Every bit of it's out of 1 John, sorry. It was a trick question. Listen, it says 525. But notice that prior to that, he said, awake from your sleep and Christ will give you light. Before that, he's talking about finding out the will of God. He's talking about walking circumspectly. In other words, I know what it says. Sometimes you don't know the whole document like the whole Bible, you don't know the whole will of God, so you're doing what you do know. That's what circumspect means. Be as diligent as you can possible. And then there's going to be things you're doing, you go, wait a minute, that's against God? That's not the will of God? That's not the document? Then you stop doing that, and you say, okay, Holy Spirit, teach me how not to do that. Lead me not to do that. See, because you wouldn't have known it wasn't part of the document if the Holy Spirit didn't convict you. But see, when you fight against it, see, this is leading up to a big point. You guys got to get this big point because the next text we're going to cover next week talks about sin leading to death and sin not leading to death. Wait a minute. The wages of sin is death. Yeah, but there's sin not leading to death and there's sin leading to death. I'm going to leave that hanging there. Because you cannot go on in your Christian walk doing what you want and ignoring sin in your life and not being washed and cleansed and think that it's not leading to death. The wages of sin is death, and when it's full-blown, it does bring forth death. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Christ came to defeat the works of the devil and destroy death to give you life. And you can't go on playing games and think, I'm alive I'm married to him. I'm being sanctified and cleansed. I get to go to heaven because the pastor told me if I just say a prayer. No, you can't wallow in sin and have no regard to God's uh, blood and think that you're okay. Impossibility, wrong gospel, false gospel. God is going to judge sin. He judged it at the cross. If you practice it, you're ignoring the love of God. You're ignoring the sacrifice of God. You're crucifying all over again the Lord of glory. See, we're supposed to be mourning over sin, fighting against sin, struggling with this sin in a war, in a battle, not re resting in it like it's okay to do it when our Lord died for it. It's not the Spirit of God that's weak. It's us. We've been sold a false bill of goods 
And the judge has no choice but to be a righteous judge and what the fruit of our life is. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did he give himself up for us? That he might sanctify and cleanse us. Well, how's he going to do that with the washing of the water by the word, the word spoken, that he might present her to himself? Listen, he's going to present us to himself at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Oh, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's how we are positionally and supposed to be becoming practically, but that she should be holy. That's position. We are holy because He's holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Are you, are you here with me? That's what I was talking about. That's why I got there. When you start loving the people, your wife and then the people around you with a godly love, you're loving yourself because now you're obeying and you're being a witness to the testimony of what God has already done in you in the first place. And that's the best thing you can do is love your own soul. But if you're not obeying God or in any heart to obey God, you don't have any desire to go follow God, then the Spirit of God might not even be in you. But when we have a desire to, to do the things that God has called us to do, we're loving ourselves because we're actually being trained in righteousness and becoming what He's already put us down to be positionally. But if we keep going in the other direction, He's already put us down where He's taken our name out of the Lamb's book of life. This is really the litmus test, the witness of the Holy Spirit, not the witness of the world. Well, if you say this prayer with me, you get to go to heaven. That's the witness of a man. What about God's witness? What does God say about a salvation of a soul? That you begin to agree. You begin to go. You begin to do. Oh, that doesn't mean you're not going to stumble. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. But when you rest in it and say it's okay because I already said a prayer, that is false gospel. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for theirs shall be the kingdom of God. Mourn? Oh, I cried over grandma when she died. I'm going to go to heaven. No, that's not what he's talking about. Mourning over your sin, fighting over your sin, wrestling over the fact that you are still living in sin and you don't care. That's what you weep over. Because Jesus died for us. He poured out his blood for us. He set us free from the power and the penalty of sin. And we go on being bewitched, listening to liars. But when you get in a relationship with him, it doesn't stay that way. Well, it might take some years. You know, people always told me it was that woman I married. I'm like, no, no, it was, it was the man I married. Sorry. It was the God man that I married. But that woman helped. She helped because when I started dying and trying to love her the way Christ wanted me to, it changed who I was. When I began to learn to obey God and love her and lay my life down for her, it changes me on the inside because I got to stop chasing everything I want to chase. That's what's called dead to self, crucified with Christ. I'm not trying to point at me. I'm trying to talk about the thing that God is doing in us to wash us and cleanse us. And if you just barely turn your hearts toward home and come to your senses, instead of continuing to think that the pastor that told you, if you just say a prayer, 
Well, that prayer that actually you say says, I do. And then you don't, and it ends in a divorce. It did with the nation of Israel. Oh, yeah, there, uh, somebody will go, but he's got to finish work he's going to do. Of course he is. He's going to finish what he started in them. But how many of them went to hell? They didn't automatically get in because they're the nation of Israel. How many of them died in the wilderness? How many went into the promised land? Two. All the rest of them, God was not well pleased. And they died in the wilderness. Two of two and a half million? Two adults, age 20 and above. So maybe it was only two million. My goodness. The boys said, in that case, nobody will get into heaven. And God said, all things are possible with God. But are you concerned about that? Are you being bewitched by everything else? Thirteen hundred babies a day in America. Genocide. God's a God of life. The shot, tested or contains aborted baby fetuses. We don't care. We're just scared to death to die. We're listening to the government. We're listening to the CDC. They know what they're doing. They'll keep us alive. Really? Christians? Really? It's sad that we've been bewitched this way. That we think the government is going to do something for us. That's underneath the sway of the wicked one that's, that's been following the devil. They go on in Ephesians 5, 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. See how much he cares for us? If you're the church, if you're the bride, if you have the spirit, then he's nourishing and cherishing you. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's looking for ways to get you to follow him and to be adorned as a bride for him and meet him in the air. But just as the nation of Israel did, we play the harlot. For we are his members of his body, of his flesh and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's what we become with Christ. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then he goes on to deal with family. See, because marriage was the first institution in the garden that was, that was physical. Spiritual was Adam, the institution walking with God. And then the sleep and you bring out the marriage. And then the next institution is family. These are the important things in life, not the government. What about your marriage to Christ? Your marriage physically, if you have one. The only thing that's going to last longer on this planet, the only thing that lasts longer is Christ. 
your marriage, your children, you have them, and you're going to go, oh, and little Johnny's growing up, and he's going off and getting married. But you're still going to be there with your spouse. That's why it's a sad testimony with all the divorce. And you know what they say? We just grew apart. We stayed together as long as the kids were in the house, but then we grew apart. That's the only excuse. But it's supposed to be the other way. The kids are supposed to leave, and you're supposed to stay together and be a testimony of the marriage of Christ, the light of the world, that he's changing us both. We're dying to self and becoming one. It's sad. And yet we go, Russia, 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 1,300 babies a day, 80% divorce in the church. And we go, Russia, Russia, Russia. It's always better to look at somebody else's house. It's always better to go over there. The devil loves to be with us to keep us focused on everything other than our own house. Really simple to do. And then we feel good about ourselves because Russia is so bad and Putin's so mean and people are dying. Meanwhile, we steady work in bondage and pay money to a government that's paying for abortion and people to die everywhere. And, and, and more babies are dying in America than people a day in Russia or in Ukraine or in any other war. Unless you look for where Christians are being killed, there might be more than 1,300 of them being killed a day. It's, I mean, it's just a simple truth. But we're looking at physical, listening to liars instead of the voice of God. Sorry, I get a little carried away. So in our text, confidence, all outspokenness. Listen, you cannot go wrong with the Word of God. It's truth always. It's been truth since it's been written down, been truth before it was written down. Jesus is always truth. God is always truth. His Word is always what it's all about. We're studying this week. We're studying it. Go read it. You can go read it. The Mount Carmel victory. We studied it yesterday. If you want to know what the men talked about, we talked about a corrupt government leading people to follow devils, men abdicating the throne, letting Jezebels run. Not, not talking about our house. It's talking about government. The devil run everything. Obadiah. 1 Kings chapter 17. Anybody know what Obadiah means? Servant of the Lord. What's the servant of the Lord doing? Obadiah is looking for Elijah. He's in the government, but he's looking for Elijah. He's a servant of the Lord. He's hidden the priest of God so that Jezebel and them couldn't kill him. And he's looking for the word of God. He's looking for the prophet of God. He's looking. Elijah means the Lord is God. He's looking for him. And when he finds him, he doesn't want to lose him. And the Word of God gave him a mission to go on and said, go tell Ahab to come meet her. And he goes, nope. If I go away from you, I'm going to die. That's what he said to him. He goes, no, no. He goes, yeah, everybody's looking for you. And when I get to Ahab and I tell him that I found Elijah and he's in such and such place and I, and he, and I come back and you're not here, he's going to kill me. And he says, I'll reveal myself today. And that's what God says. If you'll obey the word of God, if you will turn at my rebuke, I will pour my spirit out upon you. I'll make my word known to you. Proverbs 1.23. But if you continue to be stiff-necked and you need a bridle put on your head to move you about like a horse does, it's not going to be good for you. But he will do it. He will use you to show his great power upon the earth. There is sin leading to life and sin leading to death. Everybody that is born again still sins. 
Nobody is sinless. There's no sinless perfection. But are you concerned about sin? Are you dealing with sin? Are you being washed and cleansed of your sin? Or are you thinking it's okay to go out and find some new sin and something new to do and some new way to live life that ignores God still? He gives you a new heart and you just fill it full of the same old sin? Not a possibility. He won't allow it. He'll lift you up. That's what John 15 says. If you don't bear fruit, he'll cut you off and cast you into the fire if he doesn't lift you up. That's why people die. Read it in the communion chapter. You take communion in an unworthy manner. Some are sick, some die. Because they think they can go on without judging themselves and dealing with their sin. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week when we cover verses 16 and 17. Do you have confidence in your relationship with God that He saved you? He loves you. He knows where you're at. He knows what's going on. He knows the sin you're practicing. Are you dealing with it? Are you fighting with it? Or are you happy laying in it? You happy laying in it? You think it's okay because He already paid for it and you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want? That's death. Do what thou wilt is death. That's demons. And if we know that he hears us, verse 15 of 1 John, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Wow. Do you know God hears you? Does God hear your prayers? Are you praying in the will of God? Are you praying according to the document of God? Are you praying according to what he's showing you? Are you asking for souls? Are you asking God to help you be a better husband, a better wife, a better spouse, a better employee? Are you asking God to help you to let that witness that the three are one in you come out to others? Are you asking God to sanctify and cleanse you to help you deal with these things that's going on in your life? This is the will of God, your sanctification. I know, you've beat that long enough, Greg. But listen, he doesn't even hear your prayer if you're not born again. The only prayer God hears if you're not born again, because people tell me, I go, I start talking to them, they go, oh, I got to deal with the old good old boy upstairs. I don't know you don't. He don't hear any prayer except a prayer of repentance. He doesn't hear you. You can pray all day long. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, he ain't listening to your prayers. Now, he's God. He hears everything, but he ain't listening. He's not even thinking about acting upon them. He's not even concerned about your prayers. You're not his child. He hears his children's voice. The only prayer he hears, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, is a prayer of repentance. When you say, I do. I believe. I do. And you become married to him. Then he seals you. Now you can have confidence that he wants to hear you. He wants to listen to you. You've been born again as a child of God into the family of God in his house where he's a good father who will pour out his riches upon you, the full inheritance, if you come and get it just as his will says. You can't steal it. You can't be the prodigal son. What did the prodigal son do? Remember? In this culture... Prodigal son knows that when dad dies, he's going to get an inheritance. But he's so impatient. He's so worldly. He's so full of self and sin and Satan. He says, I want mine now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want mine now. 
And so the father says, okay, I'll give it to you now. And he gives him his portion of the wealth. I think it's Psalms 106 that tells us that God will give you, if you keep pursuing it, he'll give you what you desire. But it will bring leanness to your soul. He gave it to him. And he went away with prodigal living. That's why it's called the prodigal son. He went away and, and, and destroyed all of it just upon himself. And he came to, and he's in a field eating the pods of the pigs, working for somebody else, in bondage, eating filth. And the Bible says he come to his senses. And he said, I know what I will do. I will go back to my father's house. And he has servants that he feeds, he takes care of. He does a great job with his servants. And I'll go just become a servant for my father because I don't deserve to be a child of his anymore. The way I've prodigally lived and gave away and destroyed everything that he gave me. And he came to his senses. And as he went toward the father, what happened? The father came running. And men didn't run. They don't run in that culture. They don't run. He came running, and he clothed him in his clothing, a new robe of righteousness. And he took the signet ring off his own hand, and he put it on his finger. And he restored him as a child, not as a servant. He just wanted to be a suffering servant in his father's house. We got to come to our senses. We can't do what thou wilt. That's, the, that's the, the, the mantra of the devil. That's the first house of Satan. That's atheist. That's not the church of Jesus Christ that, that, that believes in his death, burial, and resurrection and has the witness of the Spirit and the blood and the water. We need to be different because he's different. Because his Spirit is in us. And if God is in us, if God is for us, who could be against us? Do you know that you have eternal life? You can know it. There'll be a witness of it in you and around you. I watched a young man get saved the other day, and his entire countenance changed. His entire countenance. I mean, from, from five minutes apart. I was like. And see, now time will tell whether he continues to follow. What fruit comes from that. But he was sitting in the front of a van. He wasn't, he wasn't in church. See, this is an equipping station. This is not where people get saved. This is where saved people come to get equipped to go back out to tell other people and be a witness to others in this grand courtroom so they don't have to die and go to hell. We go out to tell them, to shine upon them, to be the light to them so that they can get out of darkness. We don't go back out there and act just like them and they don't, you're in the same darkness. I thought you was one of me. I always tell that testimony that back when Obama was running for his second time in office, I was in the courthouse in Tippecanoe County, and the, the Democratic headquarters was around the corner there. And it must have been four in the afternoon or something. I come out, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? The streets are empty. I felt like, whew, 
you know, like some Clint Eastwood movie, like, and then I thought, oh, I can't shoot, so I ain't getting a gun. And uh, No, I'm teasing. But I'm walking down the street, and then I see this big line of people that's wrapped all the way around this building, which is the federal courthouse and a Democratic convention place and all this stuff, and they're all standing in line to vote for Obama. And I'm like, wow, that line's long, and I'm the only guy going in the opposite direction. The only guy. And I'm walking along, and I'm like, man, this is freaking me out, Lord. What's going on? And then all of a sudden, there's a guy beside me. I'm like, oh, there's somebody else. Now we're walking together. So I started asking him a couple questions and talking to him. And, and he's just nodding and listening. And I'm thinking he's going with me. And we get to the back of the line. And he gets in the line with them. And I just, I'm, now I'm by myself again. I'm like, what in the world? This is surreal. This is crazy. And the whole time I thought he was with me. I thought he was agreeing with me. I thought he was going in the direction I was going. And he got in line and gave up everything. And that's what happens. You can be in church with people and you think that they are in a relationship with God, that they're married to God, and that they're being washed and cleansed. And really, they're in another line. They're in another world. They're still in self and sin and Satan, and they're still doing what they want to do and planning their next evil thing. They're making plans in their heart to go out and sin some more instead of saying, Lord, help me. I'm a wretched sinner. I need to come to my senses, and I can't do nothing unless you help me. Where are you at? What line are you in? You headed to the wrong house? Because there's confidence in being in God's house and knowing the Spirit of God is in you, and you ain't what you're supposed to be, but you're not what you used to be. And there's a witness there that proves that out, that you're moving toward the Father's house. Come to your senses and he's getting ready to come and get us. He's getting ready to meet us in the air. Believe me. Soon and very soon. Sooner than you can imagine. He'll arrive as a thief in the night. And you'll look up and go, wow, COVID got a whole bunch of people. There's a whole bunch of them missing. Wow. Chemical warfare killed a whole bunch of people. Whatever the lie is that they're going to tell. Wow, aliens got them. Wow. Hey, wait a minute. All those people used to go to church. Wait a minute. All those people used to talk about Jesus. Wait a minute. Something's going on here. Do you know you have Christ? Not because a man told you. The Spirit of God in you, leading you, convicting you, transforming you. Not conforming you to the world. The Spirit's not conforming you to this world. He's transforming you by the renewing of your mind. You think different. You act different. You witness different. You talk different. Believe me, you will be different if you meet Jesus Christ. And you'll know that he hears you. And you'll know that whatever you ask him, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. Because you're going to be like him. You're not going to be asking for sin and selfishness and Satan. You're going to be asking 
to be washed and cleansed. Give me a desire to be into the word of God. Give me a desire to go to church. Give me a desire to be around other saints. Give me a desire to learn to pray and learn to tell others and to learn to walk out my gifts and talents and abilities. Give me a desire to be concerned about who I hang out with and who I'm fellowshipping with. I've seen this verse Another one added to my chapter 12 of Proverbs. It's 12.26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Who are you hanging out with? See, because, oh, I'm just hanging out with it. Well, if you ain't witnessing to them, they're going to lead you astray. You can't just hang out with people and go, oh, I'm just hanging out with them. These are my friends. Really? Righteous man chooses his friends carefully because the wicked will lead you astray. It is very important to come out from amongst them and get into fellowship and be equipped and know who you are and know the will of God and know the spirit of God and know that you know. You don't have to guess, wonder, and worry. You can have confidence today, assurance today. Because of the witness of the Holy Spirit in you and the witness you give to others. Father, we ask that anything that was not of you would fall to the ground. But we pray, Lord, that you would wash and cleanse us, that you would give us a desire to be prepared as a bride to meet her groom. We know you're coming quickly. Give us wisdom in how to live in this present evil age. We continue to pray for souls to be saved. We pray against the atrocities of our world, Lord, that are so wicked that they would kill 1,300 babies a day, that they would drop bombs on innocent people. Lord, we pray for salvation of souls and that we would be different because we know you and we'd be witnesses to righteousness and unrighteousness with confidence, with all outspokenness. And we would be able to stand and having done all to stand. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I